0: Yorana Tato and Aloha Kako. Welcome to Native Stories. Native Stories is a platform meant to activate indigenous perspectives and is about creating Palina or connection to place. I am Vehia Wheeler. I am from the island of Oahu, born and raised on the island of Oahu in the Akua of Wuao. And now I am currently living in Morea and where I trace my ancestral roots to. Today I am very excited to introduce our guest, Te Mau'u'o Teiki Te, iki te Wolf, who is a Nana Hawaiian Chinese Dutch American person currently living in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but was born in Hilo, Hawaii and raised on the district of Puna. He went to Kekulo'o Navahi'o Kalani'o Pu'u, a Hawaiian language immersion school, and where he learned to speak Hawaiian language, and he also speaks Marquesian language, English language, and is learned to speak French and Māori. And today we'll be talking a little bit about his master's work in Nuku Hiba in the Marquesas or Tehenua and Nana in the South Pacific, and about Polynesian linguistics and culture in general. So Yorana and Kaoha, welcome, te ma'u Nuku here.
1: Eh uh, kanui tote in na pautu e kaukou maori, nei a vaihi metetau i pautu e kaukou mai nei a kanui hello everyone <laughs> hello and thank you for that and
0: um can you just let us know what language
1: that was in uh yep so that was in elenana or the marquise language and specifically, uh, it was in the Nukuhiva dialect of El Enana. And I was just giving a simple greeting to everyone from Hino Enana listening, to my friends, um, Māori friends and Hawaiian friends, and any indigenous person who may be listening today. It was just a simple greeting <laughs> to everyone. Ah,
0: oh, perfect. Perfect way to start our podcast as we are. Yeah. Um, you know, a podcast focused on native stories and connecting people to place. And I forgot to say this in the beginning, but as I always like to say, who better to tell our stories than ourselves? So it's such a pleasure to have you here and, uh, being able to communicate in all these different languages with us. So why don't we just start with, um, where and what is Tehenua Enana?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so Tehenua Enana is, um, otherwise known as the Marquesas Islands in English. And it's a chain of about 10 islands, but only six of them are inhabited. And um, those six that are inhabited are Nukuhiva, Uopo, and Uahuka to the north. And then to the south, we have Hiwa'oa, Tahuata, and Patuiva. So, yeah, that's Tehenua enana.
0: And um, would people know this place... uh, in any other context, um, in for people in Hawaii or for people in Aotearoa or the Pacific in general, or is it a place that when you say I'm from Tehenua, Nana or the Marquesas, it's like you have to explain where it is in the context of where it is?
1: Yeah, pretty much um, the latter. Like I always have to kind of explain to people most people where it is. There's some people who are like interested in linguistics and stuff, and they're like, "Oh, you're from." the Marquesas, that's where the Maoris got this word from. Or, mm-hmm. oh, that's where the Hawaiians originally came from. <laughs> so there's a handful of people who know it as that. But uh, but most of the time, I have to explain to people that, um, you know, it's a part of French Polynesia, and it's a chain of islands that's probably in between Hawaii and Tahiti a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's always hard to describe. I mean, most people think I live in Tahiti when I say I live, yeah. I'm from the Marquesas. I'm like ah, it's a little bit different.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the Pacific is such a big place, and French Polynesia, or as I like to say, Amohi, is mm. quite a big place. It's 118 mm. <clears throat> 18 islands, and I don't think people really know just like the massive um, amount of ocean and islands that we we have, and how much that is actually related to the rest of the Pacific. And so, do you do you mm-hmm. actually feel that way? Do you see it as related to the Pacific, even though um, some other people don't don't know that much about it?
1: Oh yeah, totally! Like, um, it's such a strong connection to to the rest of the Pacific. Like, you can if you look past the French language, um, it's so similar to other parts of the Pacific that I've been to and lived in. Like Hawaii, for example, has been so similar to Nuku Hiva and Um, you know the values of aloha and aloha aina and stuff like that Um, so yeah i definitely agree with you on that yeah
0: and um where is your family from specifically in tehenua nana
1: yeah so um my mom she's from uh the valley called taipi vai and that's on the island of Nukuhiva and it's one of the biggest valleys um in all of Nukuhiva, and it's where most of the drinking water comes from. Um uh. so a lot of people come from other valleys to fill up their water bottles in Taipei and stuff because we got nice drinking water. Um but yeah. And so my mom's was from is from Taipevai. My dad he's um from Oahu. Well he was raised in Oahu, he's an American. And somehow they both met in Tahiti, and out came me in Kilo Hospital, 1996.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And was that in Tahiti, or was it in Oahu, or was it in the Marquesas?
1: Yeah, it was in Tahiti um, that they first met uh, through some mutual friends. And I think my mom was working at a hotel at that time, Mm -hmm. and she was the only one amongst the group of friends who could speak English. So that's why her and my dad got along
0: <laughs> and then you were born and in, in Hawaii they decided to go to, back to Hawaii together
1: yeah so my dad um, wanted to bring mom back home and um, my mom had done a couple trips back to Hawaii before then to check it out and she liked it so yeah they came back to Hawaii and uh, I was born in Hilo and um, mm. yeah raised in our house out in Puna specifically in Hawaiian Paradise Park area
0: okay and so were your, it, it sounds like your parents um, are very culturally minded as they put you into um, Hawaiian language immersion school.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and part of that also was from my godfather. Um, he was given the responsibility to um, choose my education uh, when I was growing up. And my godfather, his name is um, Kaliko Trapp. He's a Hawaiian language teacher. So he was helping out at Navahi at the time, teaching computer science and aquaculture and all sorts of things. Um, and so he suggested to my parents that they put me in a Hawaiian language emergency school because he knew that it would help me one day to learn eo'enana. Um, mm. And that it would be good for me to be culturally grounded um, in Hawaiian uh, since I also have Hawaiian blood. So, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think
1: that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, no. Like, I bravo
0: to your parents for that and yeah. my father.
1: <laughs> very, very grateful for their decision to put me in um, Hawaiian immersion because it did exactly like he was thinking that I would eventually learn El Inana. And yeah, once you learn one Pacific language or Polynesian language specifically, it's super easy to catch on to the other ones.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think... Um, Learning Tahitian only helped me to understand better Hawaiian and other languages. And it's just, like, opens your mind up to a whole different way of thinking, you know?
1: Yeah, it does. And it was always pretty cool for me to be able to sort of, like, communicate with my family at Mm. first when I came from Hawaii. Because if I spoke English, they'd just give me super blank faces. But if I speak (laughs) Hawaiian with them, they would... um, be able to respond and kind of understand each other more and um so yeah it's cool to be able to communicate with other pacific people that way
0: yeah and um no i agree because it's our our first languages you know our ancestral languages so it has a much stronger meaning to us than speaking in english or, or french which is we've only been speaking for a few generations
1: yeah exactly and I mean, I still don't really speak French that well, and all my cousins <laughs> <laughs> all my cousins are like, why don't you learn to speak French already? And I'm just like, eh, it's not in my lineage. <laughs> it's not in my blood.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so how do you feel about your EO and NANA or your Marquesian mm. language level? Do you feel like... Um, or why don't you tell us how you started learning it and then how you, where you feel you are at this point? Do you feel like you're pretty fluent and you can... Uh, go through the world of of uh, Te'ao or te henua nana and be perfectly fine speaking it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, whenever I go back to Tehenu and Nana, um, I always, oh, I only speak Marquesan of people. And I mean, that just kind of puts me in the deep end to having to learn all these new words every time I come. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say that I'm like, I, I can hold a conversation with um people and sometimes it depends on the people because, you know, some people like to talk really, really, really fast and some people like to talk nice and slow. So <laughs> I have really good conversations with the slow talkers. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, I am pretty confident with my inana. Um there's sometimes though that I do get a bit confused with people because um El Inana nowadays isn't just El Inana. There's a lot of French words that are in it, borrowed mm. French words that are in the language, and there's also a lot of borrowed Tahitian words um, in the language. So when people use Tahitian and French in their El Inana, uh, I can get a little bit lost. But if it's purely the old people talking um, and they speak just El Inana, uh, it's a little bit easier for me to grasp.
0: Mm, okay. And that, and that's actually how you learned it as well, right? The, yeah. You know, it was with the older people.
1: Yeah, specifically my grandfather. So when I was young, um, I was probably in Hawaii since I was born until about 10 years old. And in about two, 2006, my parents decided to take me back um, for vacation and summer vacation. So from May to about... July, we'd stay in Taipuai and and we'd specifically stay with my grandfather. And he only spoke el enana. He couldn't speak um, any French. He could, you know, he's a couple of words here and there. He'd be like and Nana and stuff like that. But um only el Enana Usually, we'd speak with him. So he's the one who kind of. um taught me the language because we'd always stay with him and he'd speak very slowly at a real easy to um, Mm. understand pace. And um, I also learned from my cousins because whenever i go vacation, I'd go on and always go hang out and play with my cousins on the volleyball field or go fishing with them or uh, go pick fruit with them. And so, yeah, you know, I'd always talk with them and they'd always teach me the bad words. and. (laughs) Um, that's how I kind of learned from there.
0: Go pick fruit. Yeah, that's a very, like, young (laughs) Polynesian (laughs) pastime. Young person, Polynesian pastime. The chores. Go pick the fruit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Go pick fruit or, oh, I'm hungry. Let's go go get some mangoes. Like, we don't got (laughs) no money for the store. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: That's great. So, um, so you learned EO and with your your grandfather and actually um you know nana is tahitian it's not french
1: oh is it
0: yeah yeah so if you say oh. nana in france they'd be like what
1: <laughs> oh okay that's interesting because but Ale people say ali that means that's, that's french. a french word right yeah so it's half french half tahitian
0: yeah exactly like as tahitian language has become
1: great right. oh okay Oh, well, thank you for that i always thought it was French because the I know Ale was French. So Yeah. yeah.
0: So he was a, a Tahitian language speaker as well, your grandfather.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually he was. Um, yeah. whenever Tahitian people would come he could just flip the switch and speak in Tahitian and also he always used to watch the VEA, the Tahitian news, um, and completely understand everything that was going on in in the news. So yeah, he could too
0: yeah that doesn't surprise me because I found that um m- most older people in the outer islands can speak their language and Tahitian language pretty fluently like
1: yeah um,
0: so it's pretty it's yeah. pretty impressive and then a lot of them can also speak French so it's like these people are at least bilingual sometimes trilingual
1: yeah that's true yeah so um and they're pretty good like his Tahitian from what I heard was pretty good like it wasn't like choppy or anything so it's interesting how, how they can get such a mastery over their language too yeah i know, know.
0: It's, i don't know it's impressive you know
1: <laughs> yeah for sure
0: so um well yeah you're actually bilingual and trilingual and what do you think are maybe the differences and similarities between hawaiian language and eo andana language
1: Yeah, um, I think, so there's the obvious differences of, um, the, I forget the linguistic term for them, but it's where you switch the, the, um, letters from one language to another, but they mean the same. So, for example, um, Kaoha in Marquesan is Aloha in Hawaiian, so the glottal stop turns into an L, um stop in Marquesum turns into an L in Hawaiian. So there's those little differences um, that if you just change them, the meanings are exactly the same. In the same word, they just have a little bit of a different sound. So um, in a lot of ways, the meanings of words are super, super similar and how they're used. And um, yeah, yeah, so Kawa is definitely a, a big example. I think that's probably one of the only places, well, it's one of the few places in the pacific that use that term kaoha or love uh as a way mm. to say hello mm-hmm. yeah that's a good
0: point that's yeah a good point because in um in tahitian it's yorana life
1: right i think Kiorana and cook islands and kiora and um aotearoa too so they have their own line of saying hello <laughs> versus hawaiian and um Marquesan they have these ka'oha. So I always thought that was interesting. But yeah, it's it's honestly it's so easy to learn um, Marquesan from Hawaiian and I think vice versa too. Um, once you make those little changes, um, the grammars are very, very similar um, from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the intonations are definitely are a little bit different. Marquesan intonations, they're very unique to me Mm. the way the voice rises and falls um yeah it's definitely a lot different to hawaiian um at least the hawaiian i learned (laughs) um but yeah yeah i think they're really similar so honestly if any hawaiians that learn it'll be easy
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i think i think you make a good point um already about the similarities between the languages, but also the accent that people use in uh, Tehenu and Nana, which is um, quite distinct, and you can recognize, like, that Marquesian people are, like, once you hear the language, you're like, oh, that's a Marquesian person. Yeah. (laughs) Even if the language could be sound similar to another Polynesian language, you're like, oh, no, the way they speak is, like, that's a way
1: to speak in the Marquesas yeah yeah. a lot of like my younger cousins um, they come to for vacation they live in Tahiti and they come to vacation in the Marquesas and they speak French only but the way they speak French is like Marquesan (laughs) intonations
0: (laughs) can you give us an example of a Marquesan
1: accent Uh, I need to think of uh, of French, a French saying that my little cousin says, but they'll be like, um, a Marquesan accent would be like, there's all different ones too for each island, but in Nuku it would be like, (laughs) 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 means like, where are you going? How are you doing? That would be like my, my dialect. And in Uopo, they speak a little bit different. Um, you know, Uahuka a little bit different, but yeah. You can definitely tell the signature Marquesan style.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yes, very interesting. It kind of shows like the relationship between people on these islands, but also their distinctions within their own proper islands. You know?
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like you can tell, oh, that's a Wopo person, or yeah. oh, that's a Batavia person, just by the way they talk, and that's their identity too. But you can still understand them. Um, which is cool. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. And so, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did for your master's research, which was specifically in, um, Nukuhiba, right? And the, the valley that your family is from, Tai Pivai.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's centered out in Tai Pivai. Um, but I did have a few interviews, um, in the other valleys of A'aka'pa and some people from Taioha'e. Um But essentially, my master's research was looking at the ancestral fishing traditions um, of Nuku'iwa Island. Um, so, yeah, a little bit about me is that, like, my dad, he's a real ocean person. He loves to go sailing and spearfishing and fishing. Um, so I was, was um, interested in, you know, doing that kind of stuff as well. And every time we go to Nupuhiva I'd always go fishing with my cousins and um and they'd always go fishing sometimes with the older guys too and they'd go on their vodka or their motorized um canoes and we go out deep sea fishing or diving and stuff like that. So yeah, um I'd always talk to the, the older guys and they'd tell me a little bit about how they used to go fishing and it used to be interesting so interesting to me to learn about um, you know, the ancient traditions and how they catch parrot fish and the techniques that they have that are so clever. So uh, I did my master's research on the ancestral fishing traditions, just of Nukuhiva Island. And I kind of looked at it, um, uh, half of it was done through interviews is where I got that information. And the other half, um, I looked at some uh, primary sources um, from like missionaries and sailors who came to the Marquesas. Um, early on in the 1800s, 1700s. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I kind of um, read a few chapters about what the fishing was like back then and how the fishing is like from the oral traditions, from what people could remember their ancestors doing with them Mm -hmm. and then how it is now, what continues on today, what sort of traditional fishing they they still do. Right,
0: and so... Was yeah. there also written um, any written sources you could find in Marquesan language?
1: There wasn't anything I could find oh. written in Marquesan language. Um, <coughs> most of the most of the information comes um, from English or French missionaries or beachcombers and sailors that arrived in the Marquesas. Um, yeah, they never really there's not too many sources by Marquesan people written in Marquesas, in Marquesan, um, from my understanding. Okay.
0: So it's good to, um, have those oral traditions that still stay alive then.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so much, um, of these oral traditions that have never, you know, been written down and they live purely through, um, you know, our elders and their descendants. So, yeah, sometimes um, that's the only way you're gonna get that information is from these oral traditions. Nice,
0: okay. And can you uh, let us know more about what are, you think, interesting types of fishing techniques um, that you wrote about or, yeah, that you wrote about in your master's research? And maybe if you could speak on, which I thought was really interesting one time when we spoke, was the triangulation method.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, that was definitely one that um, I thought was super... um, I was quite amazed that they still use that triangulation method um, till today. And uh, I'm not sure if the method has a name for it itself, but essentially... um, What that is, is fishing at what we call toka or fishing grounds. And um, Marquesan people use um, landmarks, two different landmarks at least, to triangulate themselves in the ocean um, to find specific fishing grounds or fishing points um, that they would go fishing for all different kinds of fish. Um, You know, there's some toka that are specifically for kahi or tuna. Uh, some toka that are specifically for, um, uh, some toka are specifically for catching va'u or, um, they call it dog to tuna and deep sea fish. So, um, there's all different uh sorts of toka out there, and they're usually passed on and kept secret, um, to each family. So, um, yeah, it's like. Uh, you know, your fishing grounds, you don't really want to share all that information with people. Um, so it was, it was, uh, yeah, certain ones that are passed on from people's grandparents are passed on only to their descendants. And certain ones, if you know, you guys are family, you guys can share.
0: Okay. And in your research, was that a problem?
1: Um, oh, not a problem. You know, I
0: mean, as in like having to respect the. A- families toka was that uh you know something that came up often
1: yeah um not too much actually because yeah i never really they never really told me we're going to a toka or um i never really wanted to ask them like oh how do you find this specific toka i Mm. just went fishing with them at their toka and observed the fishing methods um Mm. and it wasn't something i really wanted to You know, publish out there for everyone. Um, But I, I would be interested in you know marking them one day and maybe having that information only for the families um, that know those toka. But yeah, for a public thing like this thesis, I didn't really want to include those um, locations. Mm. Um, But yeah, definitely toka is a big. uh, It's still alive today. Lots of people go out in their little motorboats or vaka, and they handline fish at toka. Um, um usually with plastic line like most people do nowadays but um you know handline fishing it, it's still alive in the marquesas most people nowadays have rod and reel but yeah most people in the marquesas still go fishing with their hands and it's a lot more work but um it has so much of the marquesan identity tied into that type of fishing the the vigorous actions and like the speediness of catching fish on hand line versus a pole and how you fight a fish on the hand line versus a pole. Um, yeah, it's, it's very Marquesan to me how they, how they still have that fishing style and it's a part of the identity of being Marquesan. So that was one thing I thought was interesting is that they kept that. And, um, in regards towards diving and stuff too, they have a certain method of catching, um, Parrotfish, or they call it tatue over there, or uhu in Hawaii. Um, and essentially, uh, you catch them by luring them in with another uhu. So, there's this weird thing where if a uhu sees another uhu in its territory, they're gonna fight. It's, they're gonna wanna fight each other. So, what my cousins do nowadays is they spear one uhu and then they tie it up with string to like a plastic bottle and float it up on the surface. Mm-hmm. and then you just see all these other male uhu nearby just start coming in and trying to attack it and that's how they get a good shot to to spear those type of fish um mm-hmm. so yeah it's kind of an interesting behavior that i never knew until this research and um they used to be done in the water diving and the old people say they used to do it um from the shoreline or the rocky shore on the edge as well so you can do be done on land and in the water so yeah that's some interesting techniques that i found
0: oh yeah super interesting when you're talking about this handline fishing i'm wondering like these people have amazing hands or what are they using gloves
1: <laughs> they use gloves oh but they they still have mean calluses like underneath their gloves <laughs> for real yeah but oh, yeah. i guess
0: if you do it for 40 years you know <laughs> you got uh techniques down <laughs>
1: Yeah, they get the techniques. It's pretty much get the fish in the boat as quick as possible, (laughs) especially if they're tuna fishing.
0: So they tuna fish with their hands.
1: Yeah, they tuna fish with hand lines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, everybody will just be cruising in the boat, and then one person will just get whacked by his hand line, and (laughs) the fight is on.
0: (laughs) And then they all, do they group together to help the one person, or is it really just the one person
1: who fishes it up? Yeah, you bring it up all on your own. <laughs> <'Cause> usually, <laughs> once one person gets a bite, another person gets a bite. So everyone's on at the same time. <laughs>
0: oh, man. That sounds like fun.
1: Yeah, it's pretty action. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, cool. So, have you been able to um, continue fishing while you're there? Or is it, uh, or, and like, is this uh, a type of research that you think you'll continue or have other projects around?
1: Yeah, definitely in the future, like I want to um, be more involved with these kind of projects uh, in the Marquesas um, because I think this knowledge um, is important to our identity and like preserving um, that ancestral knowledge within our every the everyday lives in the Marquesas. Um, but I think uh, for now, like I, I definitely am leaning towards a bigger focus on the language and helping the language um, survive and get revitalized because yeah at, at this moment in time it's definitely um, a pivotal pivotal time to save the language with the younger generations starting to lose it so yeah I think for my focuses I'll uh, starting to lean towards language revitalization
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea, and it's that stuff is all linked anyway. Like, yeah, it is culture, fishing. You know,
1: fishing. Yeah, all the different words for fishing and the names of fish. Um, that's something I also wrote about in my, my thesis as well. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's all linked.
0: And um, why did you choose to? I know that you did your research in Tihuanuanana and in part with, I mean, and with Henanua, Nana, so uh, Marquesian people, but you were studying in Aotearoa or enrolled in university in Aotearoa at this time. And why did you choose to study in Aotearoa while you're doing research in Marquesas?
1: Yeah, um, so I originally went to Aotearoa in 2017 as a study abroad program while i was going to school um to get my master my undergrad in hawaiian studies and marine science and i went to the university of waikato and i kind of was interested in how they were running their programs um and i was real interested in learning more about um you know maori people's perspectives and their ways that they preserve their knowledge and language and, um, being raised in Hawaii, I was, for my whole life, um, I always wanted to travel out for a bit. So I decided, um, for my master's that I would come to Aotearoa to, um, sort of get a, gain a fresh perspective,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and for that to help my research. And, um, I also had my partner who lives over here. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it would just be convenient to, um, I just have both of those in the happen at the same time, so yeah. went to came to Aotearoa for my master's, and um, exactly what I was hoping for gain a new, fresh perspective, made more connections um, with Māori people over here, and um, eventually hoping can get those connections to link back and help, um, in any way with to Tehenua and Nami. So, yeah.
0: So yeah, it, you feel good about the decision to go to Aotearoa and kind of widen the perspective and be pan-Pacific, sort of.
1: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And also, it was a um, it was a short, shorter time for the degree. It's only a year and a half. Oh. Um, yeah. So I thought. Um, it would be nice just to get my masters <laughs> done and out of the way.
0: <laughs> but uh, Yeah. I don't blame you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's part of the, um, the reasons that I came here.
0: Okay. 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 Well, yeah, that's mm, super interesting. Well, actually, uh, I wanted to say as well that I was in, I've done some research in Fatuiva in, uh, in the archipelago as well, and I spoke with oh. the woman who was who explained the triangulation method to me that they used oh, wow. as well in Fatuiva. So I'm not sure if you have any uh, knew that previously, but it's pretty interesting that that this. Oh, is wow.
1: you know. Did she ever take you out um, fishing?
0: No, I mean I wish I wish we went fishing with them. We didn't have enough time.
1: Yeah, and that's interesting too that it was a uh, Vahine who um, could explain it too because yeah I knew back in the old days um, not too many Vahine would um, go out fishing on the on the vodka, which oh. is... Yeah, but I, there definitely were some like they did, did a couple um, interviews of some of the older Vahine, and they said sometimes if they didn't have their brothers with them their um, fathers would take the girls out and go fishing with them too. So, I mean, it does make sense, but it wasn't a super uh, widespread thing. Right.
0: Right. And did you, um, in your uh, master's thesis, did you talk uh, about uh, the mama and things like that, like fishing from fishing seafood, like shellfish?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, how to gather... um, the mama or chitons and toy toy or those um the uh, ama crab or the rock crabs um i talk a bit about that and uh the different um shellfish they used to eat so they also used to eat like uh the sea cucumbers and it's also talked a bit about gathering um emu or uh what do you call it algae um seaweed and also um I didn't what? talk about it in my thesis, but um, we I, I got told a little bit about gathering salt, too, which happens on the side of the rocks. So, yeah, so much so much information there from the interviews.
0: Wait, uh, yeah, I didn't know that people gathered salt in the Marquesas, because I don't know anything yeah. about that really in Tahiti. But maybe oh, I yeah. just haven't done enough research.
1: It's similar to Hawaii, where they had those natural or sometimes man-made salt ponds that, those little, yeah, in the rocks that Mm -hmm. just dry up. And, yeah, they used to just go around during the summertime when it's dry and fill up Um. uh, big coffee bags full of salt for the year.
0: (laughs) And also people in the market eat limu, algae, algae, algae.
1: Yeah, it's not as diverse as Hawaii from what I've seen, but there are certain um, emu that you can eat in the Marquesas that they use to garnish their food sometimes. It's not really popular nowadays, but the old people, um, that's what they mentioned, yeah. Wow,
0: that's interesting, because we don't eat uh, algae at all in Tahiti. Oh yeah. Oh. Nowadays no. I'm I never because um I've asked a couple of people because we eat it in Hawaii. Right. So, yeah, and in Tahiti I've never people are always like, no, we don't eat the the algae.
1: <laughs> wow yeah. There could be another connection there. Who knows?
0: I know. There needs to be more research. Some, there's always like more research to do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Opens a million more doors.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, I think this was super interesting. And thank you so much for sharing all your uh, knowledge and information and ideas about, you know, what you see for the past, future, and present for the Marquesas.
1: Um, Yeah, I just want to say thank you, Vihia, for having me come on um, this podcast today. You know, I always would listen to Native Stories on my long drives (laughs) in Aotearoa. Um, so, <laughs> it's cool to be on the show. Um, and thank you for, you know, this platform to allow me to talk a bit about Tehenua and Nama and, um, spread a bit more about, um, the Marquesas. Cause as we said, um, you know, it's not too well known, not too well known. So definitely, um, appreciative for that. And, um, yeah, for everyone out there listening, thank you for listening. And yeah, mahalo.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, super happy to have you on the show and to be able to have your, um, you know, knowledge be out there about the Marquesas and these connection wider Pacific connections. And now the next time you go on long drive, you can listen to yourself on
1: the, on the drive. <laughs> oh no, I probably
0: won't. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, Maruite Note, henua enana, and ya Oto Paurua. Do you need any other information about Native Stories? It's on, you can find more information about us on NativeStories.org. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify or on Google Podcasts. And um, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time.